0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer, and I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And in this episode, I would like to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, a member of the Godhead, one of the three persons or beings who make up deity, the Holy Spirit, along with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, make up or comprise the one true God. Do I understand that with all of its complexities? No. But I do believe it, because that is what the Scriptures reveal. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is God. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Is referred to as the Spirit of God because he proceeds from God. Consider Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. It tells us, However you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What an interesting verse this is. It uses the term Spirit of God once again to refer to the Holy Spirit, but also uses the term Spirit of Christ to refer to the same member of the Godhead. This is just one out of a host of passages that speak of the pluralistic unity of the Godhead. For the Holy Spirit is both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit possesses the characteristics of an individual being or person, using that word accommodatively. For instance, he is said to know the mind of the Father in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11 tells us that he has a will. Romans chapter 15 and verse 30 speaks of the love of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has spoken. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. As we will study much more deeply a little bit later on in this episode, he guides in the sense of revealing God's will, and he testifies of Jesus our Lord. The Bible tells us of slights and injuries that the Holy Spirit suffers that can only be ascribed to a being, a person, or a personality. For instance, he can be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 warns us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Hebrews 10:29 shows us that the spirit can be insulted. Perhaps all Bible students remember what Peter said to Ananias in Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back some of the price of the land so we can see that the spirit can be lied to remember certain of the pharisees blasphemed against the spirit because they attributed some miracles jesus performed to the diabolical agency of beelzebub the holy spirit is called the eternal spirit in hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. he is omniscient knowing the thoughts of god according to first corinthians 2 10 and 11. His omnipresence is indicated in Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10. Do you remember how that passage begins? Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? The idea being is that there is no place to go where the spirit is not. So put it all together and we find we are talking about an individual being, one of three who make up deity or God. He possesses the characteristics of a person. His works manifest personality. He suffers slights and injuries that can only be ascribed to personality, and His divinity is realized in His attributes. Praise, glory, and honor be to the Holy Spirit. The particular aspect of the Holy Spirit upon which I want to focus for the rest of this episode is what does He do? What is His work in conversion and conviction, if any? This is a vitally important subject because what a person comes to believe about this will have a direct bearing upon their approach to the scriptures and their view as to how one is saved. Does the Holy Spirit operate directly and miraculously upon an individual in convincing them in the truth of the gospel? By miraculous, I mean, does he act upon an individual in a way that is outside of the realm of natural law does he operate through vision seen in the still of the night or through a voice that is audible only to the individual is there some sort of supernatural religious experience provided by the holy spirit that a person must have before he or she can be converted indeed is the conversion itself a supernatural event surely we can all see just how important this is i believe the passage that reveals the most to us concerning the work of the holy spirit in Conviction and in Conversion, is found in John 14-17, a passage that chronicles a private conversation between Jesus and his chosen apostles. It also contains our Lord's beautiful and poignant prayer as the events of Gethsemane drew near on the very night before his crucifixion. We're not going to read the whole passage, but we will focus on several statements Jesus made related to the work and the mission of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14 and look at verses 16 through 17 and also verse 26. Jesus said to his apostles, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper, that he may be with you forever, that is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Down in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. My friends, the Holy Spirit was going to work with the apostles in a very special and unique ways. The Holy Spirit, as another Helper, would be with the apostles and in the apostles as a comforter, and aid, A teacher in the stead of Jesus who was to return to the Father. They would not be left alone. There is no question that in the first century the Spirit verified or confirmed the inspired message by and with miracles. But one of the problems people have when they think about the Holy Spirit is to focus upon miracles and the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. It is a grievous error to think first about miracles when we think about the work of the Spirit particularly in the realm of conviction and conversion. The Holy Spirit was sent to deliver the message of God. He would bring to the apostles' remembrance all things that Jesus had taught them, and much more. His primary work was the revelation of the truth and instruction. The miracles were secondary. They simply were meant to be confirmation of the primary purpose, which was the delivery of the word of truth. Surely, this is the message of Mark 16:19 and 20, where we read, So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them, confirming the word by the signs that followed. The same point is made in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. There the Hebrew writer wrote, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Moving now to John 15, we'll read verses 26 and 27. Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. It is interesting that the Holy Spirit is here once again referred to as the Spirit of Truth. Think about this. Because Jesus would send him from the Father, and because he would proceed actually from the Father, he can only speak the truth. God cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is a faithful witness speaking only the truth. He would come bearing witness, attesting to, furnishing proof of, confirming Christ. Again, think about this. What the Holy Spirit taught them would be true, and they could absolutely depend upon the testimony from him. The apostles, then, would speak what they had seen, the words being carefully protected by the Holy Spirit, in addition to the testimony he provided them concerning things that they had not personally seen. By delivering the truth, the Holy Spirit brought the means by which we can know salvation. My friends, Jesus continued in his discourse to the apostles and showed that this bearing of witness by the Spirit would be threefold. He would convict the world, he would guide the apostles into all the truth, and he would glorify Jesus by taking the things pertaining to him and declaring them unto the apostles. We'll go now to John chapter 16 and read verses 5 through 15. The passage shows us Jesus saying, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. As Jesus spoke further about the work the Spirit would do, we find that he used the word convict in verse 8. That is a word that has many different nuances. It can mean show his fault, convince, reprove, and rebuke. There are those who hold that it is used here by Jesus in the sense of bringing to light the true character of a man and his conduct. There are those who say that it has a double sense of a convincing unto salvation and a convicting unto condemnation. That makes sense to me. The conviction concerning sin is designed to bring those who had committed sin to repentance. All sin and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and we can understand that. Certainly the Holy Spirit defines sin in the Scriptures. But the world is convicted of sin because they do not believe the gospel of Christ, which they must do to be saved. If they refuse Jesus, they lose the means of freedom from sin. Here's how it works. The Spirit would present the evidence concerning Christ. He would deliver the message of salvation, the gospel of truth, complete with how a person takes advantage of it. When men refuse that, they are condemned to remain forever in sin because they have rejected the only means of redemption from sin. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, and verse 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. My friends, man's sense of sin comes from an understanding of the words of the Holy Spirit designed to convict. The conviction concerning righteousness was also designed to bring men to repentance. The Holy Spirit would declare true righteousness, what it is and how one walks in it. To be righteous is to walk according to God's Word, taking on the Spirit and the characteristics of God and Christ. It also requires rejecting unrighteousness or sin. But after sinning, No one is righteous until the blood of Christ washes away his sins. After his resurrection and ascension to heaven, Jesus would return to the Father and be seated on the right hand of God. We possess righteousness only when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. But my friends, our understanding of righteousness comes only through understanding the words of the Holy Spirit and those words convincing us to seek it through the Lord Jesus. Now, the conviction regarding judgment was also designed to produce repentance. This is accomplished through the revelation of the Spirit that the ruler of this world has been judged. That the devil is defeated by Christ is clearly revealed in the scriptures. If the ruler of this world is condemned, then obviously those who follow him Those who are of the world will be condemned as well. The Spirit reveals that we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that we're all going to have to give an answer for the things that we have done in the body, whether they be good or bad. It is through the revelations given by the Spirit in God's holy word that man comes to understand about judgment and to fear standing in it before God without the benefits of the blood of Christ. The Spirit would guide the apostles into all the truth, and that is exactly what He did. We have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness, according to Second Peter chapter one and verse three. We have the perfect law of liberty, James chapter one and verse twenty-five. The faith has once for all times been revealed, Jude three. Indeed, Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen, the following: Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual things with spiritual words. In the same book, in chapter 14 and verse 37, Paul wrote, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. The Holy Spirit was to also glorify Christ. The entire revelation does just that. The work of Jesus Christ in redemption and his fulfilling the eternal purpose of God is the very theme, the very theme of what the Holy Spirit has revealed. He is Lord and King, and it is the Spirit who tells us that through the word. Jesus is coming back and all will be raised, either to the resurrection of glory or to the resurrection of damnation. The Spirit has revealed that. I believe it to be an inescapable conclusion. The Holy Spirit works in conviction and conversion through the word that he has revealed. That word is the power of God unto salvation. In it, God's plan to make man righteous by faith is revealed in order to produce faith in those who hear it. It is the gospel of Christ, revealed by the Spirit, that acts on the hearts of men, one way or the other. Words to consider about a most important subject. Thanks for listening.